This morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about something that's kind of unique. This morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about reflecting on God's glory. And I think one of the greatest reflections of the glory of God really is his forgiveness. And when you and I think about what God has done for us in sending Christ, it is pretty amazing. There's a verse of scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It goes like this. Uh, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord. Now this is God speaking. It says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And there will come a day when God will send Christ back. We'll all go to heaven. There will be a final judgment. But until then, God is a very forgiving individual. He's a forgiving God. And I want to talk about that forgiveness because I think sometimes we don't recognize it for what it really is. And we don't realize what it can really provide for us and how we live. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And for me personally, I think one of the greatest ways that we can be transformed into this image, this ever-increasing image of God's glory, is to recognize the power of forgiveness and to recognize how it not only affects and impacts our personal lives, but how this concept of forgiveness can reach to those who are around us. I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning in the book of Romans because this really does speak directly to the idea of forgiveness and God's glory. Paul writes in the third chapter, he said, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. Now stop and think about that just a minute. There's no one who is righteous. I can't tell you how many people over the years that I've had an opportunity to talk with and I asked them, if you, something were to happen to you today, if you die today, do you know if you would go to heaven or not go to heaven? And invariably, most of the people who are not active members in churches, they'll answer that question this way. Well, I am a good person. And, and, I've, and I've lived a good life. And I'll ask them to help me understand what they mean by I'm a good person. And, and they're like, well, I haven't cheated on my wife. I don't steal. I don't take things. I, I'm, I'm generous. I give to other people. I'm a good person. And I understand that. I understand that we have a lot of people in the world that are good people. Personally, I think that the world itself, generically, most humanity is good. There's that one or two percent of people in the world that are not so very good, and they seem to make a lot of waves and challenges for the rest of us. But that's the world that we live in. We are pretty good people. But the fact is, being pretty good doesn't get you or earn you the right to be called forgiven. It just means that we still have a little bit of God's glory in us. But Paul writes, no one is righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And I know Paul's making generalities here. He's speaking with kind of a broad brushstroke when, he, when he's talking about this idea of our being worthless and no one does good because we all do a little bit of good. But understand what Paul is really getting at. He's trying to get us to understand that God is enough for us. It isn't, it isn't what we can do to earn this thing called forgiveness. It isn't what we can do to earn this thing called being righteous. Paul is trying to get us to understand that God is enough, even in the midst of all of our frailties, because we all have weaknesses, we all have challenges, we all have things that happen to us that we look back on and say, oh man, I can't believe I did that. And the reality is we did it. And the reality is we'll probably do it again. I find often that a lot of people who have challenges in their life, they seem to keep having the recurring and the same challenges over and over. If you don't believe that's true, talk to someone who has an addiction of any kind. Talk to them and find out what their biggest hang-up is, their biggest challenges is 
is the addiction. Whether it's drug, alcohol, sexual, whatever it is, you talk with them and they'll, they'll tell you repeatedly that's the thing, that's their Achilles heel. And, and most people are not any different. We all have the same things that keep happening to us. And we try to work through that, we get a little better and then we fall back and then we get a little better and then we fall back, we get better and then we fall back. At the, at the end of the day, we still haven't done enough. And so when Paul makes these statements about none of us are righteous, all have fallen away, he's trying to get us to understand that in and of ourselves, there isn't anything that we can do that ever takes us to the point where we can stand before God and say, hey, let me in. Because none of us have ever done well enough. I don't remember exactly if what I'm going to say is the, the, the exact pronunciation or if I'm, if I'm even quoting the right thing. But I remember from high school years, this has been way over 40 years ago, I, I took a geometry class, and somewhere in that geometry class, I remember seeing equation A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Is that the Pythagorean theorem? I, knew, I, I was close. Thank you, Michael. He's one of three people listening to me live. So, so the reality is, this theory is kind of how we still try to live our lives. Because all of us who are trying to earn our way into heaven, we think if I do A, and B, then I'll get C. And the reality is when it comes to getting into heaven, it just doesn't work like that. We think if I do this, and if I do this, then God is naturally going to give me this. And it just doesn't work like that at all. It all comes back to an understanding of what Paul said in that verse of scripture. He says, there's no one who's really righteous. There's not even one of us who's righteous. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. God truly is enough. And so as, as, as you think about who we are, understand that the righteousness that we have doesn't come through anything that we do. The only righteousness that's really available to us is the righteousness that's given through faith in Christ to all who believe. There's an interesting twist on this passage of uh, Scripture in Romans, and I don't want to get very technical with this, but there's a way to translate this passage where it says the righteousness is given through faith in Christ. There's a way to look at that that actually it could say the righteousness is given through faith of Christ to all who believe. You see, it isn't even our faith that gives us this righteousness. It was the faith of Christ. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. So you see, it isn't A plus B equals C. It's not that we do this and we do this and God gives us this. Even though we keep trying to do that, we keep trying to live a certain way. And, and if we live this way, then we get this thing and then God gives us this. It just doesn't work like that because the reality is we can't ever live this way perfectly because we're just not capable. As hard as we try, we just aren't capable and so God truly is enough. Paul continues in Romans 3 in verse 22, he says, He did this, this giving of His Son, giving Christ, who is our righteousness, that gives us this righteousness, His faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Remember back in Exodus, the verse of Scripture we read where it says, He will not leave the guilty unpunished. Well, guess what? He didn't. And he doesn't leave them unpunished. But the reality of, of this punishment is that Jesus has taken our punishment. Jesus went to the cross and he became sin for us. He became our righteousness. We could never attain to that level of righteousness that God needed us to, to attain to, to ever walk into heaven. So Jesus, he sent 
God sent Jesus, his son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Remember the word so in there. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should have eternal life. And it's this faith, it's this act of believing and trusting in Jesus that brings us into the relationship. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, and forbearance means the putting off of, he had left all of those sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. It's all because of Christ. It's all because of faith in Christ. So you and I need to realize that we are justified by faith. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, it's this forgiveness. It is this forgiveness that we receive because of what Jesus did by coming here because God so loved the world. It is this forgiveness that is the greatest expression of the glory of God. We have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith. You see, it's not A and B and C. It's not A plus B equals C. It's all C. It's all God. Because God gave His Son, His only Son, who went to the cross for us and became our sin. He took our punishment. For some reason, there's always been a need for a blood sacrifice from the very earliest days of recorded history in the Word of God. There's always been a requirement of some blood sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that Jesus became that sacrifice for it all. His blood was shed once for all for all mankind, for all of those who preceded Him in life and death and all of those who will come after His physical appearance on earth and life and death. The one sacrifice that Jesus made in giving His blood makes all forgiveness possible. And God demonstrates His own love. Continuing in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? You see, the words of God in Exodus are very, very true. He is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness to all. But He is not going to leave the sinners unpunished. But the way that He's accomplished that is by sending Jesus. He didn't do it by condemning us to the death eternally. He sent His own Son who took that sin upon Himself for us. So Paul goes on, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound or increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Or don't you know that all who are of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Oftentimes when I have an opportunity to speak with someone who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't made Him the Lord of their life, I'll ask them this question. And it's not a hard question to speak, but it's a difficult question to answer. And the question is very simply this, are you ready to die? Are you, are you ready to die? Because I believe that when a person makes the decision to make Jesus the Lord of his or her life, 
They have to be willing to die. This description that Paul offers to us here in Romans of baptism, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death. All of that is representative of truly someone who dies. I've stood at the graveside of literally hundreds of people because of my professional career in the last 12 years. And I'm here to offer to you that every one of us who's ever born into this world at some point will die a physical death. And when we die physical death, there's a way that we have a disposition of the physical body. And what Paul is describing for us in this act of baptism, it is, a, it is in essence a type of spiritual significance. It is our spiritual death. It's where we die to our old selves and we put on Christ. It's where we are buried. We are buried just like we bury someone in a cemetery. We are buried and we're putting away the old man and we're being raised to life to live in Christ, free from sin, free from wickedness and rebellion. Not that we don't sometimes act wicked or we don't rebel at times, but we are free from the consequences of that because of what Christ has done. Paul goes on to say some things that I think all of us probably can relate to. He says, I don't understand what I do. Ever been there? I've been there more than at least twice. I got up uh, Friday morning, I was supposed to do a report for the company that I'm doing some work with. Every Friday morning at 7.30, I have a Zoom call. And there are about eight of us on the call, and I'm supposed to do a report. And I sat down at my computer Friday morning at 6.30, and I couldn't remember how to do any of the report. And I've only done it every Friday since January. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand how to do the report. I had to do it three times. Three times, not once, not twice. Three times I had to do that report over to finally get it right. I sometimes don't understand what I do. And sometimes when I do things that I know that are wrong, I look back on it and say, what in the world? And I have no recollection. I have no idea why. It just is. Paul says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. Have you been there? I know you have. Because all of us are human. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good because, see, the law was given so that we could understand what is right and wrong. Again, when you talk to people who are not believers and you ask them, have you, if, you were to, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And they say, well, I'd, I believe I'm good. We'll say, great. Well, help me understand what is good. Define good for me. Well, what is evil? Have you ever done an evil? Well, yes, I have. Well, great. If you've done evil, then doesn't that mean that you deserve to go to hell? And that's a hard question to ask. But it's the reality. The law helped us see the difference in what was right and wrong, what was good and evil. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Some of us in this listening audience are old enough to remember a comedian who used to be on the television back in the 70s, maybe into the early 80s, but I know he was on TV in the 70s, and his name was Flip Wilson. Any of you guys remember him? And he had an amazing little quote, little saying that he always used to do. He used to say, the devil made me do it. And guess what? He was spot on. He was absolutely correct. Because when you and I do something that we know, we're looking back at it, isn't right, it isn't something that's good, it doesn't honor God, guess who made you do that? Guess who was involved in that decision? It was the devil. Because he is here in this world. Paul writes in another verse of Scripture, he says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the principalities and powers of the air. Our battle isn't against the government, our battle isn't against our neighbor, our battle isn't against anything that's physical here. Our real battle is against Satan and those that work with him in the spiritual realms trying to influence us to do things that we know 
we shouldn't do, but we do them anyway because we're human. Paul continues, he says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin that's living in me, for I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot even carry it out at times. I've been there. Have you been there? I suspect you have. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. Even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. All of us have seen memes or little cartoons where someone is trying to make a decision and on the right shoulder is a little angel looking uh, creature that's telling him to do the right thing and on the left shoulder there's this evil devilish looking creature telling him to do this thing and there's this little conversation going on in the head where people are trying to say, well, should I do this or should I do this? And the little devil angel says, oh, it'll be okay, don't worry about it, go ahead and do it. And then the angel said, no, 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 you can't do that because if you do that, we all have those battles. Some are more prevalent than others, but we all have them. And Paul, understanding this struggle that we live every single week and month of our lives, he says, what a wretched man we are. And who will rescue us from this body that is subject to death, this physical body? Who will rescue us from this? Uh, thanks be to God, he delivers us through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. You see, it's not A plus B equals C. It's all C. It's all C. It's all the Christ. It's all Jesus. And, and the beautiful thing of God and His glory is that He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. So what are we to do then? If we recognize that God truly has forgiven us and we live in His glory and this glory of forgiveness, this constant forgiveness that comes because He so loved us, what are we to do? Well, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he offers these words. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God. Because God is the one who makes things grow. I just planted a couple of raised beds garden. I didn't plant them. I built a couple of raised beds gardens in my backyard. I planted seed and the seed never came up. It never came up. And I'm like, I've never planted seed in a garden and it didn't come up. Well, I've experienced it this spring. Finally, I talked to a friend of mine. And he said, Ed, have you watered it? I'm like, yeah, I sprayed a little water on everyone. He said, no, 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 no. He said, you didn't water the garden. He said, you have to water the garden. You have to soak it. You have to saturate it. And when you saturate it long enough, guess what? The seed will grow. And I put in these little sprinklers and I put an automation on it. And every morning for 15 to 30 minutes, it gets sprinkled now and the soil is rich with moisture. And I have plants growing in my garden. You see, God is the one who makes things grow. I don't understand how that works. Those seeds laid there for three or four weeks, never did anything. I put a little water on them and all of a sudden, poop, there's green stuff in my garden. It's amazing. God is the one who makes things grow. Our job is just to be the one who plants seeds and waters. And, and I don't know where all the seeds planted and I don't know where all the watering happens, but God is in the middle of it all. So the one who plants and the one who grow, waters have only one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. By the grace God has given us, a laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. See, that's the beauty of it. I never know where the harvest will come. 
I meet people all the time. You meet people all the time. Maybe you, you've known them for years. Maybe they're brand new acquaintance. But somewhere in their past, somebody has spoken to them. Somebody said something to them that caused them to think about God or Jesus just a little bit. And then you come along and you say a couple of more words. And you cause them to think about it a little more. And then someone else comes along. And in the course of that fourth or fifth or fifteenth conversation, the, the person finally says, I need to make Jesus my Lord. And I need to become a believer in Christ and follow him the rest of my days. You see, someone's already laid the foundation for us. Someone is already building on that. And each of us should take care how we build. For no one of us can lay any foundation other than one that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. But if anyone builds on the foundation, listen to this carefully. This is so cool. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Here's this A plus B equals C thing. That's what Paul's getting to. If you think that you can do this by the physical world, if you think you can build something with gold or silver or wood or straw, your work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the judgment day, is going to bring it to life. And it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, then the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, then the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. It's not A plus B equals C. It's just C. It's just the Christ. And you and I do all kinds of things. We think if I do this in the name of Jesus, if I do this in the name of Jesus, if I do this in the name of Jesus, and guess what? I'll get to go to heaven. But do you remember what Jesus said when he taught? He said, there'll be coming some before God who say, look, I cast out demons. I spoke in your name. I spoke in tongues. I did all kinds of things. In your name, and I heal people in your name, and God is going to look at them and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. And it's all because they were in the A plus B equals C world and didn't understand it's all Christ. So why is God enough? Why is God enough? You see, the stuff that we've been told we need to do isn't what is really required of us. What is required of us is that we allow the transforming power of God's Spirit to work through us to make us into the likeness of the glory of God in an ever-increasing likeness of His glory. See, that's the reason Jesus came here. He came here to save us from our sins. He came here to pay the price one time for all of us so that we wouldn't have to answer for the inequities and and the inequalities and the fallacies of our lives because we're full of that stuff and we'll never be empty of that stuff. We only get to stand before God because Jesus' blood cleanses us and when God looks at us, He sees us through that blood and it's only because of His righteousness that we stand before Him. You see, you and I, we can't do enough. We can't be good enough. We can't keep all the regulations. You don't need to keep or re-up or make sure you don't lose your salvation by doing anything. And doing more and more has nothing to do with how and by whom you have been saved. It is through faith in Christ, through the faith of Christ, that you and I have been saved. So what you and I should do is become a believer who is so moved and so compelled by the presence of God's Holy Spirit that we cannot help but live a life that honors God. You may remember in the book of Acts, a couple of the apostles were arrested. They're brought before the leaders of the Jewish temple and they're questioned as to what's going on and they're commanded by the Jewish leaders to not teach in the name of Jesus. 
And Peter speaks up and he says, you say what you want to do, but when we leave here, we cannot help but speak about Jesus. And I just wonder, how many of you who are listening to this have that same attitude and heart of mind that Peter had? We cannot help but speak the name of Jesus. We live in crazy times right now. Churches are basically closed. We're doing Zoom meetings. That's great. They're wonderful. And we've gone from one place of congregants coming together to 35 or 75 or 185 homes in the community that are now where the church is. And that's all well and good, except are you talking with anyone about Jesus? When you go to the grocery, when you go to the store to pick up the stuff that they'll let you get because they do curb service now, um, is there anything in your conversation with a person that reflects the presence of Jesus? You and I are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We were supposed to have died to ourselves when we accepted Jesus. That whole symbol of baptism thing I was talking about, that's what that's all about. That's showing the whole world around you. Hey, I'm dead. I'm gone. It's not me anymore that's living. It's Jesus who's living in me and through me. And that's the life and the expression that we should have. So, what do you do? What do you do now when you think about how God needs you to speak in this world? Even if we were to have church services and buildings next Sunday morning and all of the members of all of the churches all over the world came together, would it have any impact on those who are outside the doors who don't know Jesus? You and I need to realize that the greatest reflection of God's glory is forgiveness He's given to us. And we need to take that forgiveness in a message and spread it into the world. As you go out this week, be sure wherever you go, Take the words in the name of Jesus with you. It's that powerful. And it doesn't take much. It only takes a few conversations because you never know whether you're watering the seed or you're planting the seed or whether you're just adding a little more water to the seed so the plant can grow just a little bit more. It's up to God to bring all of the growth. But he needs us speaking about Jesus. We're going to go to a song now to encourage you, and we hope that as you think of this song and sing this song in the privacy of your home, it'll cause you to realize that you need to be a person of faith who represents the glory of Christ. We will shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west, Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. We will shout. To the north and the south, sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. You are Lord of heaven and earth. You are Lord of heaven and earth. Hey, thank you so much for being with us at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. If you have any needs this week, please call the church office. Somebody will get back with you. Reach out to the elders. We'll be happy to reach you as well. 
If there's anything we can do for you this week, please, please reach out to us. And I want to remind you again to please complete the survey that was sent out last week so that we can begin to gather that information so that some good decisions can be made for the future. Let me close us in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to spend a few minutes with one another uh, through this live stream. Father, it's a little unusual. It's a little peculiar. We get a little more used to it each week. But Lord, we long for the day and we pray that it'll come soon when we can gather again in this place, in this building. And rejoice again as brothers and sisters gather together in your name and the holy name of Jesus. Father, bless us this week. There's so many in our number that need our prayers. We especially ask you to be over them. And we thank you, Father, for the healing that comes. Lord, we especially are looking forward to the day when there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. When we all stand before the throne of God and rejoice in heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. From the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, from the depths of the sea, let all creation praise His name. From the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth. From the depths of the sea.